Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Are you afraid to change lanes in order to experience greater meaning? Can you imagine doing what you're doing right now for another 10 or 20 years? And is it possible that a bit of discomfort or danger can make us better at what we do? Today's guest is JP Bouvet. He's a world-class drummer that has lived through one of my recurring nightmares twice. In this talk, we explore the fear of face planning in front of others, the importance of meaning in our work, and why he's chosen to redefine himself professionally. You got on my radar. I went to the Generation Axe show, which is kind of funny because in the 80s, I didn't like the Shredder guys. And, uh, but like, Hey, I'm going to go see these guys. Like I have much more appreciation for that, that genre at this stage of life. And I, I, in the show, Zach Wild, I mean, you're up, you're, you're, you know, it's Zingve Malmsteen, Steve Vai, Tozan Abasi, Zach Wild, Nuno Betancourt. It's, it's a crazy, there's a lot of notes, a lot of notes being played that night. A lot of notes. <laughs> <laughs> and Zach Wild gives a shout out. He's like, Hey, you know, give it up for JP Bouvet. He's back here. It's his first night on the tour. I think that he said something like that. To the degree mm-hmm. that you were you were coming on the tour, you were filling in, and I was just like, "Gosh, how do you do that on such short notice?" Fast forward again, I see a video of you filling in for the drummer of Periphery for a festival, and I'm watching this video, and there's, uh, you know, you've got a few days. You get a phone call on a Tuesday, and you're playing on a Saturday, I think, and you've got to learn. For anybody that's not familiar with Periphery's music, it is incredibly complex and difficult to play. You had to learn that material, and then you show up and you do a festival gig these are the nightmares that I have where you show up and they're like, Hey, here's, <laughs> here's all this material. You don't know. You don't even know the artist's music that well. You don't even know how to play this instrument. You're going to play piano tonight, even though you're a guitar player. Like, <laughs> and I had these nightmares. And so I, I just, I, I remember watching that periphery video and just feeling on edge the whole time. Um, what do you, what do you remember? It'd be really funny if in that video, I bombed at the end of it, just <laughs> <laughs> ruined the show. <laughs> well, I think that's it. It's and like, it's one of those, it. yeah, that's one of those things. Like it's, it, we talk about danger, right? Like what, what, what passes as danger in our modern day life? You know, mortality is not that big of an issue these days, but yeah, bombing in front of thousands of people. That was, 
you took that call. You could have easily been like, there's no way uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to learn this material in the next few days and play live. So I'm, I'm curious for you, what, what, A, what had you accept that gig? What had you, had you say, you know what, I'm going to take this on. And I, odds are against me that I'm going to, I might just completely faceplant here. Yeah. It's funny because I very legitimately, the most recurring night, the, the most common recurring nightmare I have is the same one you have where I'm, I'm asked to, it's sometimes it's actually Generation X, show up for a rehearsal or a gig. A lot of times I'm supposed to play guitar or sing in it. And I get to the show and realize I don't know how to play the guitar. And I, I'm like trying to find a distortion pedal as if that's going to like hide <laughs> the fact that I literally don't know anything about the guitar. Um, but it's funny because that that is the same dream I have. And it felt nothing like that um, for the Generation X stuff. I mean, and the periphery stuff. I mean, yes, both cases were like super short notice, but... Y- I guess you kind of have a grasp of like what you can and can't do when you've been doing something for a long time. And when you talk about the danger, the the risk involved, um, I think about that a lot too. And it's closely tied with like flow and engagement and like a lot of the things I know you're familiar with as I've been listening to your book and stuff. Um, And some of those, like like some of those opportunities, I I sometimes when I reflect on it, I'm sad that I don't have more opportunities like that where someone says let's see what you're really made of let's see if you can do this and you in the back of your mind being like i'm pretty sure i can do this i have the tools to do this um but it's just going to take it's going to take the level of commitment that i can't bring myself to you know do every day whereas like okay when steve Vai called and they're like okay you're going to come out and start playing some of the show in the beginning i didn't know it was going to be the whole show but it was supposed to be half the show and then other things happen. But that, or with the periphery one, you start thinking like, A, you're like, can I do this? And then B, you just go into action mode and you just cancel literally everything. You know, it was just like my whole life became committed for the two or three days that I had to not only putting as many hours in as possible, but trying to do it smartly. And as you, you know, as I start to get into it at the beginning, it's just completely overwhelming. It's like, I actually don't know if I can do this. And then you start to get a grasp and you start to like realize how brilliant just the human memory is. And it's like, especially with music, it's like, once you start to know the songs, the, the mechanics fill themselves in for you to a certain degree. And by, you know, a day in, you start to feel like, wow, I think this is possible. And when I reflect back on times like that, I always think like, if I were doing that every day, like, oh my, like, it would be insane what I could do. And it's funny because I know people that essentially have that level of self-discipline um, and they they end up being like some of the greatest drummers or musicians in the world. But yeah, there. I mean, it's a moment that's extremely demanding. But at the end of it, I always, I was, especially for those two things, I'm like grateful it was packed into such a short time because I've had to learn, you know, for other tours, you have like months to learn this stuff. Right. And it kind of ends up being like, I'm going to be stressed for three months leading up to it and learn it well, or I'm going to be stressed for three days leading up to it and learn it almost the same. So it's like, Mm. it really compresses the like amount of time spent stressing about the future. Yeah. And that uh, is like at the end of the day, something I'm really grateful for with those things. The little bit that I know about learning, um, stress seems to take a toll on us. And I'm wondering if you can compare that because if, if I'm listening to this 
and there's there's a challenge I've got. Maybe it's time for me to pivot careers. Maybe it's time to move in a new direction and I've got new skills to learn. And then there's this weight of the, I've got to make this work or else there's financial things or whatever that might be. So there's, there's some, some real skin in the game here. How much did the fear impact your ability to learn that stuff? I don't necessarily think stress is going to act one way. There's something that you learn in intro to psychology called the Yerkes-Dodson law, which is this graph that goes like this. And essentially it's like, if you are relatively proficient in the skill, stress will improve the quality of your performance up to a certain point, right? And sort of the more proficient you are, the more it will improve your performance. Hmm. Whereas if you've barely got, you know, the fundamentals down, just a tiny bit of stress will just push you over the edge. Um, and everyone's sort of like, somewhere on there and the different levels of stress, the different types of stress. I mean, stress can overwhelm me at any point, but for me, for these things, since I knew that I had the tools to do this, like I've been reading and writing music my whole, or drum notation my whole life. I've had to memorize things for decades. It's like, I knew the tools were in there. So I think the stress actually did quite a bit to help me. And then there's this weird phenomenon that you're, I'm sure you're familiar with that like you're trying to memorize something and what it really takes to like get it in your head is a performance like in on a stage in front of audience right. where you have that anxiety and it sucks because that's the you know you don't want to have to really have trial by fire in order to commit something to memory but and I don't know anything about what's really going on under the hood but it really feels like to me that when you're forced to remember these things and perform them under high but manageable anxiety, like th your brain's on like hyper learning mode. It's almost like if I think of like in survival mode, you'd have to embed the scariest lessons the deepest if right. you were in the jungle. You'd have to, you know what I mean? So it's like there's some kind of like cross there where I feel like if you can get through the first show, which was what, really what I was doing with the show you, you saw. I don't know if you saw my notebook on my on the side of my, on my floor, it, no. Tom, but great. Um, but if you can get through that, then it feels like then it's finally committed to memory. And I think actually the anxiety plays a big role in that. That's interesting because um, I can imagine there's a part of like, I got to be ready before I go out. And we won't really be ready. There's another layer which is that trial by fire, you say. And then, you know, obviously we've got a, there's a balance there. Like, yeah, we're either going to face plant or we're going to get through it and we're going to come out the other side. As you describe that, I remember I, um, I did two days in the studio with Abe Laboreal Jr. He was playing drums and cool. I don't play bass, but I was playing bass on this session for two days with Abe Jr. Considering <laughs> that Abe plays with a couple of other bass players like Paul McCartney and Sting and whatever. Right, yeah. I'm just, I'm freaked out. And I'm in the same room with him and I'm just, he's hearing the songs for the first time. I've had two days to work on them and he's just bla blazing through them the first time. But I remember once I got through those songs that time, I was like, oh, now I get it. Now I get, I feel like it, it was in my cells at that point. Hell I think yeah. that's what you're describing is we go through that really difficult trial and then it's like, oh, now I've got it. I can actually feel it. I, I've, I've been, I've been transformed. Yeah. A hundred percent. It leaves a much deeper imprint when you're scared. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like when you're you, like the memories you remember, just normal memories are the most easily easy to remember ones are the ones where it's high emotionality. 
Yeah. It's like I would think that muscle memory and these other types of memory like correlate with that emotionality as well. But there's a difference between being scared and and then there's a, that place where we lock down, we go into a panic mode. And I want to I want to differentiate those two. So there's a little bit of an edge here. Like when we think about flow, my understanding of flow is when our challenge, the challenge just just pushes us beyond our skill, our, our current level of skill. And we got that just that little tiny bit of stretch there. And you even said it a little while earlier, which is like, I've got this. I think I, I think I can do this, which is a lot different than I'm fucked. And so there's yeah. there's an aspect of I think I can do this. It's going to be a stretch for me. And then you go in and and you've got your ways to move around the, the more challenging parts. But it's it's a lot different than that complete freak out. And so I I say that because some guys tend to overshoot the challenge part. They they sign up for way more challenge than they've got the skill to handle. And I want to help them come back to to understanding that. If mm-hmm. what would have had you be like, you know what? I can't take on these gigs. This is outside of my outside of my skill set. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I think it's a, it's preparation and like familiarity with your preparation, if you will. And my preparation for this has nothing to do with those two or three or four days leading up to the gigs. My preparation is like the two decades of playing drums leading up to it. And if I reflect on that, I mean, that's why the drummer who started to have an injury in the middle of the tour, that's why he called me, I assume is not because I'm particularly well-suited musically for the gig, actually. I'm actually kind of a strange person to invite to play that gig. I'm like a jazz drummer, kind of. Right. But it's more that he knew that I had, I could just, like, learn drum parts quickly. Um, So it's like, if I think about my preparation leading up to this, it's like, I've just worked on relevant skills, not for the sake of getting a gig like this, it's totally by chance, but for other reasons, right? because I was interested in, I was played big band jazz music and you just show up and read charts for three hours straight, right? So that's just like, you do that for enough weeks and you never really have to think about, it's like the reading the English language. It, 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 it's like that level of automaticity where as soon as you see a collection of letters, you can't not read it, pronounce the word in your head. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with drum notation. You see a certain arrangement of dots and lines and you can't help but know what it's going, what it sounds like and know how to play it. So I had all these skills that like I knew, you know, my level with, and that was the preparation. And so in my, it's funny, I, I, I sometimes hesitate to admit this, but like, I'd never listened to Steve Vai's music. I'd never listened to Zach Wilde's music. I, yeah. I like didn't do the eighties ever. My parents weren't into it. Like I didn't grow up on it, like never. Yeah. So I checked out, you know, some of their music and uh, it, I, it registered as like within my comfort zone. There's certain gigs where I just have to be like, yeah, like I just won't do a good job with this. Like right. you're going to regret having me. Let's, let's just keep going because this willingness to take chances, you've got a band, Childish Japes. Every time you guys put out a record, it's almost completely different stylistically. <laughs> the, the things that are foundational in a band are typically the singer and the style of music, and you guys swap those out, <laughs> which is like either a finger to the establishment of music or just a way to keep you guys on your on your toes. Like, let's completely redefine who we are and where we're going on on each different record. Again, it's dangerous. It's not the safe way. It's not the expected way to do things. What's what's the approach there when you guys throw out those? When you guys rock the foundation so much of what that that band may seem like to others. 
you know, I, I, you know, you speak about this in your book to a certain degree, and I know you're familiar with like Victor Frankl's work and, and work on meaning in general. But like for me, it's just like throughout my twenties, it was just this slow narrowing in on the realization that everything I do has to mean something to me. So just getting hired to do a job that a lot of other drummers could do, I don't find very rewarding. And I know people that do, and it's beautiful that there's diversity in that. Someone has to play Broadway and love it, you know what I mean? So it was the same time I was doing a ton of traveling back then, doing these like sort of self-organized masterclass tours around the world and just using, it was an excuse to like go see the world and make friends and Mm -hmm. have fun. And it was the first time I got back from one of those trips and thought, I didn't have fun doing that. Like it was, it, it was after a UK, no offense to the UK, but it was the second time I'd been, it was like the same people, the same questions, the same schools. And I was, I got back and I was like, wow, that didn't light the fire. Hmm. That just wasn't meaningful to me for some reason. And it freaked me out. I mean, I, this is where, this is the, the first spark that in, initially led me to go back to school now. But I started thinking like, damn, like if I don't have something that I really care about, and that I like, you know, want to put my all into, like, why am I doing music? Like it doesn't, it's, it's becomes a chore and a job for me if it's not like that. So that was why we started the band. And that's why it's called Childish Japes, which essentially means like childish jokes. It's an old like Shakespearean era term for jokes. But the, the reason the band's called that and the reason that the music has like almost no continuity between the albums is that it's a sandbox for us to play in. Right. You know what I mean? It's just meant to be a musical safe space. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had to create the band that I wished someone would invite me to be in, essentially. Yeah. There's a few things you touched on there, which are a really big deal, which is that moment. And it inevitably comes, right? Is we've, we invest in, a, I'm going to call it a game. We invest in being able to play a certain game really well. At, at some point, at one point, it really fueled us. It really fired us up. It gave us a huge sense of meaning, as you said. Uh, it gave us a huge sense of direction and like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And then there inevitably comes a day which is like, it's not the same. And we can freak out. And sometimes it can be really binary, which is like, well, this is my path. This is it. I have committed to this thing. I got to stick with it no matter what. And then there's another one, which is, well, let me go into the uncertainty and continue to find what that might be. Let me experiment and see what the next thing might be. And a lot of us don't want to do that. We've, especially if we've been following a path that's been pre-described, go to school, get the grades, go get the job, blah, 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 blah. We've never learned that, what I call inner authority, that guidance system that says, hey, here's what I want. I think I've got a hunch that I want to go in this direction, which is a lot different than what should I do? Tell me what I should do. I don't know this next phase of my life. What should I do there? So that's a huge one. So the second point that I want to make is that when we expect our work to check all the boxes for us, and then we throw our hands up and be like, well, work isn't fulfilling, and we get a little helpless there. We can get into a victim mentality. And you pivoted there instead and said, well, let's go create the thing I would want to be invited into. That's the exact language I love to use. Like, What's the thing if you got that email or that call, you would be, you'd just be ecstatic that you got invited to be a part of that. Now go create that thing. What's the party you wish you were at? Go throw that party. And I love that you took the responsibility and the initiative to make that thing happen too. And then there's this third element, which I want to get into, which is where you're redefining yourself, a willingness to redefine yourself. You said you're going back to school. So let's talk about that. What's, 
walk me through this process that had you to say, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm at a world-class level as a, as a musician, as a player. And now I'm going to go back to school. Yeah. I mean, the redefining thing is really important. It's really big in that it's like anyone who ever has any, makes any money or, or, or beca- attains any level of, of notoriety in the world, they ubiquitously say that it doesn't matter. Like I've never heard someone become a millionaire and be like, it's absolutely still about the money. Like it's so fulfilling. You can't believe how much money I have. Um, maybe they're out there. I just haven't heard that message. You hear almost unanimously the, the opposite. And I've had like such, you know, I'm so grateful to have had this weird tiny chance, tiny version of that where the drum industry is like tiny. And then I'm like sort of a C-level drum celebrity within that. So sometimes I get like these tiny doses of like, uh, what it would feel like to be, you know, actually famous, where people want an autograph, where people like really have given so much of a shit about my work since the beginning, and it just feels so rewarding on a on a personal level. But none of the other stuff matters, and it's like that became so clear to me so fast. Even like, I remember just like the first time I got paid what I considered like a very you know, large sum of money in cash, which relatively I don't make that much money, but like. It was enough where I was like, wow, like I never thought someone would hand me that much money in one day. And it was just remarkable how quickly it was no longer novel or interesting. Like literally minutes later, I was like, okay. And then you're thinking about the same thing you were thinking about before. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like that just became, has become crystal clear to me that, that that just can't be the goal you're working toward. And I love the part in your book where you're talking about like, uh, uh, pursuing like a balance of experiences, not a balance of outcomes. I mean, this is, that's such gold because it's like, it's taken me forever to start to even figure that out. But that's kind of a big part of this whole journey for me. It's like to, to go back to school, like it's this adamant uh, uh, conversation I have with myself. I'm like, JP, don't be afraid to redefine yourself. You're not a drummer. You're not just a drummer. If I'm just a dude and I play music, I feel this opening of potential, this opening of possibilities of other stuff because I'm just a dude. And one of the things I do is music. And that reframing for me like a couple of years ago was so major. One of those sort of like things that sounds dumb to the outside, but is like a major epiphany inside. It's like, wow, I've been ident- I've been trying desperately to identify as a musician for eight years at that point. And I always felt like an outcast. I never felt like I really fit in with the musical crowd. It's not actually who I am deep inside. So that is, as far as like redefining goes, that was major to just be like, I think I'm just a guy and I'm going to do hopefully a lot of interesting stuff in my life and maybe they will connect, but maybe not. Um, So yeah, that that return that I described earlier from the trip where suddenly I like wasn't enjoying what I was doing and the bands dissipated. That was a first major uh that was the first catalyst probably. But then the 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 last one, there was like a 3-year period where sort of like things started building up and on my mind I was constantly thinking like I think I need to add something to my life because I I I would I was in this place where when I imagined myself doing what I'm doing now in 10 years I had this like vision that was like, if it's exactly the same as what I'm doing now, that is horribly depressing, right? Just no growth, right? I run a website and it's like, cool, I'm gonna have a few more subscribers, right? It's like, I'm gonna be practicing the drums and teaching the drums and I love these things, but I just don't think it's the full picture for me. So 
the last, you know, and I started looking into like, should I join the FBI? I want to make a difference. I want to do something <laughs> important. It's like, I want to be a force for good. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that my, the other passion I've always had is like mindfulness and psychology meditation and stuff kind of got turned on to it around 23 and it was it was natural enough that i never even identified it or put my finger on the fact that it was an interest really it just happened to be what i was reading um but the last thing that pushed me over the edge uh was i was on this bike trip with a couple friends around talk about like sort of jumping into the deep end and facing a little bit of fear and danger i've never done a big bike tour and one of my friends who does them relatively frequently was like Hey, like anyone open invitation, do you guys want to go on a bike trip around Iceland for three weeks and bike the perimeter of Iceland, which is like, I didn't even know at the time, but it's like notoriously difficult bike tour and you're out against the elements. It's crazy out there. Um, Hills and mountains and stuff. And I was like, absolutely. Like, let's go. And we're on this three week trip around Iceland. And I'm just the only book I brought was Viktor Frankl's, you know, Man's Search for Meaning. And just being, out, just working, it's like all, everything was perfect on that trip. Like you just, you'd bike for like eight hours through wind and rain and cold and, and uphill forever, literally a whole day uphill. And you'd get where you were going and set up tent and there was nothing more rewarding. It was just so obvious that like this danger, this fear, the camaraderie from that, uh, just earning your keep at the end of the day. There was this physical element that was majorly missing in my life. And I felt so far from drumming. Like the idea that I was a drummer for a living was the most abstract concept to me ever there. And this distance was so profound. And I was reading this book about meaning and I was, it just was so clear to me. I was like, the meaning of my life is not drumming. If anything, I've used drumming as just a vessel to try to communicate ideas I think are more important. Mm. And... So it was all just clicking into place. And I finally on that tour, as I was finishing the book, I was like, well, I have to go back to school. I have to try, you know, and just see what happens. And so that was the last little step. And I don't know. I was looking at like Hunter College because some friends had been there. And someone was like, just mentioned Columbia. And I was like, oh, I might as well, you know, apply. I don't think I'll get in. I didn't have very good grades. But somehow they were like, they thought the life experience was interesting enough. And so now I'm a non-traditional student at Columbia and totally out of my league. But it's an amazing opportunity to, to study with some amazing professors. <laughs> well, that's that's such a big deal because for, for many of us, there's this, all right, I'm going to get really proficient at something. And I'm going to use that as a, a castle for my ego. That's going to be my identity. I'm going to be the good drummer, the good executive, the good founder, the whatever. It's like this thing of like, Hey, look, I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm not a, I'm not a schmuck. I'm not a noob. I'm not a whatever. And that the fear is, well, I, if I want to change lanes or if I want to learn something else, I got to start back at one-on-one level again. I got to suck again. I got to go through the level where it's goofy and I don't know where to get the books and where, where's the classroom or whatever that thing is where we feel inadequate again, or we feel young again or vulnerable again. And I think in my work with coaching with guys, like that's usually the biggest hangup they have is I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to lose any of this status that I've got or this comfort that I've got in this idea of who I am. And uh, so I love this willingness to, to redefine yourself and see yourself differently. I'm not a drummer. I'm beyond that. 
And also I'm here to learn. So I'm going to throw myself into this place. Nobody's going to give a damn of my life experiences, et cetera. But you, you were ready for that. And you'd actually gone beyond that. What I'm getting is like, you didn't walk into those classrooms and be like, hey, everybody needs to kiss my ass because I'm J.P. Bouvet. <laughs> Yeah, be, they'd be like, my dad's the prince of some country somewhere. <laughs> and my mom works in the UN, so they'd be like, cool. cool oh, you're drumming. a drummer. That's nice. What do you, you also deliver nice. pizzas? Yeah, they're going to be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're totally right, though. I mean, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird constant, like, dissonance between my life where I've got it totally figured out and I've become really good at it and I've streamlined the process for drumming and my web- website and everything it's the thing I'm most confident and competent with. And then to, like you said, just be fumbling through, you know, uh, sophomore year uh, at university, hanging out with eight, like these little genius 18 year old kids. Um, it, it's, it's a trip. And, and again, I'm keeping the music going side by side. You know, some people, you know, they drop something completely and that might be even harder because they don't get to every now and then go play a show and feel good about themselves. But, to think about, okay, I, I did this drumming thing for 10 years and I worked my ass off and, and that worked. Whatever I did, time timeline and, and commitment wise, it worked. So I'm looking at my new career and I'm thinking, well, that's my model. Like, let me do whatever I can extract, even if it's like, I, I know I have to immerse myself deeply in the material like I did with drumming in order for the connections to become automatic, mm-hmm. in order for me to like just have it on hand like I do now with drumming. And I have to... Another thing that you talk about with the risks and stuff is like I have to engage with the real world. I have to like, I can't just sit in my room and read, read books about it. I have to go research assist. I have to have internships. I have to like be talking to people. I have to be taking, you know, if I'm interested in giving therapy one day, I have to be taking therapy. I have to be like bumping into the real world. You know, this is where the real, the, the friction creates, you know, the real, uh, uh, the good stuff, you know, the, the wisdom, yeah. the experience. There's, there's, there's a, there's so many good things in there. One of the things I want to pull out is if we come back to where you talked about where things were meaningful, if I started my career simply because I wanted to feel comfortable or safe or have status, then the process of learning that skill sucked. It was a, it was constant deprivation. It was constant like, Oh my God, this sucks. But Hey, you know what? There's a rainbow I'm, I'm moving towards that, that, that pot of gold and I'm going to get there one day. That's that rat racer mentality is like, I'm going to reach the summit. I'm going to get there and all of this deprivation and all of this pressure and all this stuff's going to pay off. If that's my mindset, then the idea of starting over or starting something new is a no starter. It's just like, there's no way I'm going back. I'm not going to go yeah. back and, and deprive myself like that again. Whereas if we're, if we're coming from a different place, which is what feeds me, what has me feel more alive, what has me feel more nourished, then that, that process isn't killing us. It's actually enlivening us. It's still challenging. It still may kind of suck to be a noob at it. But when we look back at year one, year two, there was a part of us that was like, I'm learning shit. This is really, this mm-hmm. is invigorating for me, even though I'm not at the end of the rainbow yet. I'm, at, I'm not at the summit so I want to just frame that out there for if somebody's listening and like, there's no way I would start over again. It's like, well, consider that the whole point of it would be that the process, the, the redoing of it would be invigorating in and of itself. It wouldn't be just outcome oriented. A hundred percent. And the, the only thing I'll add to that with anecdotal, you know, support is that I do, like I mentioned, this is my biggest psychological challenge right now is, is, is 
to, to this balance between like feeling very competent at one thing and like very like a, a newborn baby and another one when I'm distanced I feel like ah like this is you know it feels uncomfortable I don't like this but when I'm in it again when I'm engaging when I'm reading the material when I'm in class when I'm at, at this beautiful campus it's just like the gratitude is, is overwhelming I'm just mm. like I can't literally can't believe insane stuff where you're just like wow the the level of conversation in these rooms is something i never would have expected i'd be able to have and it it is so rewarding so even though yes there's a you know, there's a lot of insecurity built into it there's it's balanced with the fact these reminders that it's the right thing yeah that are like okay i'm in it and it just the ability to just appreciate what's going on is like the the counterbalance to the insecurity. I think. I wonder. You you you've got such reverence for the an appreciation for the program that you're in. It would have been so easy. Most of us are like, I'm not that guy. I don't deserve to be. That's for those people. What was the process like for you to even apply to be like, well, I'm just I'm just the drummer guy. Why would why would I apply? I don't belong in the room with these people. So most of us negotiate against ourselves when it comes to opportunities or we don't even see them. We just see walls. We don't see them as a doorway. We don't see that. Hey, you know what? I might get a no, but at least I'll ask. I'll be bold. So I'm curious for you, what had you even say, you know what? I'm going to be bold and they're probably going to say no, but I'm going to ask anyway. It's a great question. I mean, I feel like when I look back at my life, like the key turning points in my life, I feel like almost all of them are some version of me being like, well, I don't feel like I really, uh, I don't know if deserves the right word. Like, okay, this is kind of a star shot, but like, let's see what happens. I'm going to go for it and give it my all and be as prepared as I can. I think about that, like getting accepted to Berkeley College of Music, which was, it's a good school. And then winning the drum off this other thing and getting into Columbia is like, they were all these things where I was like, yeah, I don't really feel like I like, if there's a belong thing, I don't feel like I belong there. But I feel like I could outwork some people and fool them. You know what I mean? And then you realize, like, <laughs> outworking people is, like, really most of what competence is at the end of the day. That's been huge for me. Well, all of it's identity related. And, I, and this is what I see a lot is guys come to me and they say they want X, Y, Z. And they're like, it doesn't matter. What are the excuses? I don't have enough time. I don't have energy. They'll blame resources. Or it's going to piss off the people that are important to me. They've got, I've got expectations to fulfill. Once we pierce through those and we start to realize that that isn't necessarily true, it's this identity piece. Who am I? What are they going to think of me mm -hmm. if I do X, Y, Z? It's like, what do I, I, I don't belong. There's these, these doubts. Whatever their particular thing is, is the doubt. It, that thing is what usually grabs them by the ankle and holds them back. And they won't even, like I said, they won't even see that opportunity. They won't even consider it because they don't identify with it. That's not what I would do. That's not what people like me do or whatever that thing is. And so I love that you speak to this. And say that we can always just challenge that idea. It's like it doesn't, we don't have to necessarily believe it. And this is where the mindfulness practice comes in is recognizing, oh, there's doubt. There's that part of me that just says over and over again that I don't belong here. Or I should stay safe and stay away from that opportunity. It's like if we don't catch that thing, we don't realize that we're looking at the world through that lens and it's, and it's blinding us to those opportunities. So I, the thing I want to get out there, you know, as anybody's listening is like challenge that idea that says I don't belong or anytime that, you don't believe you see any opportunities. Well, what if you were willing to be bold? What if you'd be willing to be playful? What if you're willing to get over yourself? Suddenly there are opportunities around there and, and uh, you've demonstrated this quite well. Beautiful, man. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm so glad we had a chance to, uh, to connect. 
Me too, man. Thanks so much for having me. You can learn more about J.P. Bouvet and his offerings by visiting his YouTube channel and his website at jpbouvetmusic.com. If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.